Hello folks, you're listening to Revenge of the Drive-In, the podcast brought to you by Grandma Sophia's Cookies, where we talk about two drive-in movies and discuss whether or not they make for a good drive-in double feature. I'm your host, Patrick, and I'm joined here by my usual host, Jim, hello. And Jim, we are talking about The Fly and King Kong vs. Godzilla, two films that, you know, as of recently now with King Kong vs. Godzilla, have both have popular remakes. Mm-hmm. But, of course, we're talking about the originals here. And I guess it's debatable if Godzilla vs. Kong is truly a remake anyways, because it follows a different series continuity, and just who cares? <laughs> Jim, anything to say about either one of our movies before we jump right into the fly? Yes, I have... I was going to say fly right into the fly, and it just oh, seems Oh, you missed it. Can't go back. Yeah, I've actually never seen either movie. I haven't even seen the remake of The Fly and I haven't okay. seen the quote-unquote remake, new make of the Godzilla vs. Kong. The Fly, for me, is something that I always knew what the story was, because that's one of those famous movies that oh, everybody yeah, talks about. Oh, yeah, it's about, you know, the dangers of scientific advancement. That's, that's a big theme in 50 sci-fi, and understandably so, because we just had, you know, atomic weapons invented, you know, and, and we can see where or some consequences in, in the real world of science you know i don't know i like the fly uh, yeah it's it's, awesome. it's a fantastic movie the godzilla or i guess king kong versus godzilla uh i uh, again have never seen that before interesting to watch sure uh, i don't know if it was necessarily a pleasure to watch oh i have to tell you we spoke about this the other day i had asked you i said which one are we watching i assume the sub or whatever, and you said, yeah, the sub. I could not Well, get... yeah, I just, at this point, just watch it. Because they used to have it on HBO Max, but they don't have it anymore. So I was able to find a copy, but otherwise I was going to go back to my VHS copy that I wore out as a kid and watched a, <laughs> a dubbed version. You know, if it, if it came to that, I would have. So I didn't really have too much of a problem if you chose to watch the dub version because i'm very familiar with it from when i was young so i have a question before that because before we get into either of these but i'm just going to finish this point here i looked like if you're living in canada it's going to be hard for you to find the sub version of king kong versus godzilla i couldn't find it on any streaming service i there was not it was not on like crave it wasn't on netflix in canada wasn't on amazon prime wasn't on even on youtube to rent I went down to my local video store to rent it, but somebody had it out. So it was... <laughs> yeah, so I found it on YouTube. Well, hey, it's um, a, it's a it's popular film, I guess. It is, I guess it is. 60 years yeah. later. <laughs> yeah. Well, and so my question to you is, is the original... Oh, I just remembered. I forgot to return that from several years ago. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> that was like me with the original Godzilla that I rented when we did that episode. I had it for like two months. Oh, was that the one that kept you from going back to the video Yeah, and I was like, I, was like I don't want to go back. I don't want to get I in didn't trouble. realize it was Godzilla. Okay. <laughs> with the original movie, was there that much of those like English characters, of those newscasters in the original? Or was that something that was put on for English audiences? English newscasters. I, I had American military. American, I didn't have American, English newscasters. Yeah. American newscaster. Wait, you had American newscasters? Well, he was. He wasn't really. Well, like, he was. He wasn't really a newscaster. He was. They're doing like news stuff. They were doing like bulletins throughout the movie. Oh, okay. So you must have had some different stuff then. Okay, a little bit. It doesn't matter. We can talk about the fly first, and when we get to that, I'll tell you about my ordeals, my trials and ordeals with uh, uh, King Kong versus Godzilla. 
All right. Well, this is going to be exciting. But Jim, why don't you start off with The Fly? The Fly, 1958. I forget who it's directed by off the top of my head. Kurt Newman. Thank you. Who died like shortly after the movie came out. And this was like by far his biggest movie. And it's just sad he he never got to see it. I mean, he saw the movie. I mean, he never got to see it be popular, obviously. And that sucks. Well, it's sad that he didn't get to make more stuff in this kind of like science fiction vein. Because I think what he did with this was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I've never seen The Return of the Fly, which is a sequel to this, which is notoriously bad. (laughs) <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you th- you think if he stuck around, maybe they could have made a good sequel. I don't know. Who knows? I just know there's a scene in that where, well, it's in black and white because it's like a cheaper movie than this one. This one's in color, obviously. But there's a guy with the fly mask on and like a suit, like running through the woods. <laughs> and he has, stops in the middle of his of the shot to like adjust his uh, no. fly mask. No. <laughs> No, it sounds like a fan, it sounds like a like a fan project, like something that you would like film in high school because you like the fly, you know. It's a lot of bad horror movies <laughs> like uh, that, though. Well, speaking of bad horror movies, probably the biggest star in this is Vincent Price, and not that he's sure. in like a lot of bad horror movies, but he is in a lot of bad horror movies. Yeah, he- I mean, he's in a lot of sh- schlocky movies, and I was thinking about him in this because at this point, I, I I really enjoyed seeing him in this because even though it is a horror movie. He is not really, he's not in it because he's horror star Vincent Price. This is probably before he really was a horror star. At this time, he was just character actor Vincent Price. Yeah. You know, it's House on Haunted Hill, The Tingler, those kinds of movies that came out a little bit after this. And then those um, Roger Corman, Edgar Allan Poe movies are really kind of what cemented him as that. But I mean, he's in film noirs. I mean, yeah, he was the invisible man at one point in the 40s but i don't know it's just like i i even though it's a horror movie he's not the antagonist and he's not the protagonist he's not he's not the villain he's not the monster which is probably the best role that he's at he's great at playing kind of evil genius character Mm -hmm. um which we've seen a couple times already in this podcast but i like it he's just like a normal guy here and i think he's good yeah, well, in this, he's like a vehicle for information, for the audience to receive information through. Yeah, well, I mean, that brings up just how this this movie has an interesting structure, obviously, and we'll get into it. But it starts basically at the end of the story, and the majority of the t- story is told through flashback. And mm-hmm. it's it's it works because it's being recounted to him. And after a while, because it goes on for so long, you almost forget that the entire thing is being told in flashback. But then the ending is amazing the ending is just a fantastic ending you know back in the present time and we'll have to talk about that obviously but yeah so i guess because i totally agree with you so i guess with that we'll get right into it we begin with at the delam uh brothers factory and in montreal i guess which i didn't i wasn't aware of yeah i i looked this up out of curiosity because like it's based on a short story and why is it set in Montreal that's like a weird thing for like a Hollywood movie and not I mean it obviously wasn't shot in Montreal but I looked it up and and the short story is a French story so my guess is they probably just kept the character names but didn't want to set it in France for some reason so it's set in Montreal that's probably it I don't know here's I've never read the story here's also a bit of quick trivia for anybody out there who's not familiar with Canadian cities because why would you be Montreal was like the hub of Canada from the 20s to the late 60s maybe yeah i know when my dad 70s. was a kid it was the bigger 
it was the biggest city in Canada, like when he was young. Yeah, Toronto only started to become more of a hub in southern Canada when the Quebec government kind of put in all these like anti-English laws. Yeah, and they stuff like kind that. of went off the rails. Yeah, then people were like, "Oh, let's get the fuck out of this place. Uh, we don't want to hang out here and party here anymore. Let's go to Toronto, where they're building the CN Tower and stuff." It's kind of weird to think like in 1958, Montreal was a happening spot, you know. So I guess you could kind of see. <laughs> somebody doing like weird scientific stuff in montreal but anyways (laughs) the delon brothers factory that's where we are we meet up with a security guard who finds andre uh dead in a hydraulic press his head and arm have been crushed and his wife helene uh, who's who's played by uh, patricia owens she flees as soon as the guard approaches and i like how much blood there is here it's very gruesome for a yeah it's great it's great. It's, I wish they and had, it looks like, gorgeous on in it. color. Like it's it's that like bright Technicolor. Like I love the look of that. That's exactly it. That's exactly what I was gonna say. I wish they'd lingered on it like a little longer because it is that bright Technicolor blood. You know, <laughs> Andre's wife. She telephones Francois Delam, who's Vincent Price, who I'm gonna refer to as VP throughout the rest of this, to tell him Just that. Just call him Veep. Veep. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Uh, what's your name? What's your name? Um, Helene? Helen? No, no, Helene? no, Veep. Who's the Veep? It's, uh... Oh, uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Thank you, another that's French it. Name. So, yeah, so, uh, Vincent Price is the brother of Andre. He's Francois, and Helene telephones him. Do you know who Andre is, by the way? What actor that is? Or what I you I forgot to write his name down, but I, I don't recognize from anything, as far as I know. Well, he has two different names. He, I've, I'm more familiar with him as David Hedison. He's sometimes listed as Al Hedison, but he is... He's in. I think it's Live and Let Die. He's um, he's uh. <laughs> what? Well, no, no, yeah, it is Live and Let Die, and then also License to Kill. He's the American CIA agent. The name's blanking. Felix. Um, Felix Leiter. He's Felix Felix Leiter wow. in those two movies. Wow, that's pretty cool. I'll give it to him. We that's also have neat. a Bond girl in King Kong vs Godzilla. By the way. Oh, is she the one who's um? She's the one in the Asian Bond movie. (laughs) Which one do you think? (laughs) You only live twice. That's what I was going to say. I didn't want to sound racist or anything. Yeah, Yeah. well, I know what movie she must be in. Well, I mean, to be fair, Charles Gray is in that too. And he plays an Asian (laughs) too. To be fair, Sean Connery's in You Only Live Twice playing an Asian man for a bit. (laughs) Yeah, but it's a disguise. It's a little different. It's still still rough to watch, but it's a little different. So after the police and Francois visit the crime scene, they go to see Helene, who confesses that she murdered her husband. But she doesn't really give a motive for why she killed him, and she's a little hazy on the details. Like, at one point, the inspector says, oh, you crushed him with a hydraulic press. She goes, yeah, I did. How many? He's like, how many times? She's like, once. He goes, oh, but the stroke count was set to two. And she goes, oh, of of course. Of course it was. Yes, I changed it. Yes, I I, I remember. Yeah, and not only that, but Francois also basically insists that she wouldn't have the knowledge to operate that machine. Like, someone would have to teach her. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And at this point, in the movie, this very early stage, she, we see that she's sort of obsessed with flies. Uh, she mm-hmm. scrutinizes one as it lands on a lampshade. For instance, in a, another scene a little later on, she leaps out of her bed to try to save a fly from being swatted by her maid. Yeah. And she sobs with happiness when it isn't a certain kind of fly, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Which I, I like that that how that kind of sets up. Like, we're seeing that in, like... You're like, okay, what's going on here? But like, obviously, it's going to go somewhere. But 
I like that, like, you see how insane she looks to everybody else, but yeah, it, yeah. it will all be explained. It all makes sense. Exactly, yeah. You just, you just got to hang tight. It all makes sense. We also learn from Veep that his brother was a bit of a mad scientist, in a sense. He was always testing new equipment and new ideas and then bringing them to Francois, Vincent Price, for their company. The next time we see Vincent Price, he's having dinner with his, what is it, nephew? No. Yeah, nephew, right? Yeah, nephew. Yeah, Philippe, who, again, his nephew. Uh, And the boy mentions that his mom is looking for a fly with a white head, a funny-looking arm, and that this kid saw it earlier in the day in uh, Veep's study. So Veep is starting to put two and two together and he gets a bit of a brainwave and he heads over to Helene's place, which I guess I think he's living in the same place as her for the the time being. Probably because he because she just confessed to murder and (laughs) make sure she's not. Yeah, I don't know. I know whatever. Well, she's a woman. This is the 50s. She she's a woman. His husband, what's she going to do? We got to stay close to him. But he heads over to uh, Helene and he lies to her. And he says, hey, I've caught this fly in my study, and I want to know all about what happened. And after a bit of back and forth, she relents and tells Veep that she's like, I'll tell, I'll tell you everything about what happened and the inspector, as long as you call him here, because I'm not telling the story twice, because it's too painful for me to recount. And you also have to promise to kill And we're fly. not watching Return of the Fly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Vincent Price agrees. He's like, yeah, I'll listen to your story, and I'll kill whatever fly you want me to kill. I don't care. So this is all when we start going to a flashback. So, and I, I guess I should also point out, up to this point, the movie has a kind of murder mystery vibe, right? Yeah. There's a lot of police inspector. There's a lot. Yeah, of not a not a who done it, but a but a why she done it. Why done it? Yeah. Why done it? When Helene finally starts telling you the story, as we mentioned briefly earlier, we are thrust back in time to about a month ago. We see Andre pulling Helene into his basement lab to show her what he's been working on. And I like, uh, there's a few lines here. I forget what the first one is, but she asks him, oh, is it this thing? And he's like, no, no. And she goes, oh, it's not the portable reactor, is it? And I love that kind of like 50s <laughs> fascination with nuclear reactors, you know? And he's like, oh, no, no, it's not the nuclear reactor. <laughs> he's like, it's it's a teleporter, is essentially what he says. And he places this ashtray in a cube, which I don't even know how to describe it other than a, a, a cube this glass cube and he flips a switch and all of these awesome colored like neon lights turn on and all these neat like star trekky looking instruments turn on and there's all kinds of noises and then this cube fills with this bright purpley blue light and whoosh the thing's gone it disappears and andre opens this sliding door and you can see on the other side of the lab there's a second teleporter and in that teleporter is the ashtray I, I like how the scene ends too because it, you you think like wow he's done it this this dude's amazing, but then she looks at it and sees the uh, made in Japan yeah. writing on the back is now reversed exactly yeah she has that funny I, little I love line. how this scene concludes with that because then it's like uh, you know we've we've still got some problems with this isn't a, this isn't perfected technology yet well exactly exactly and like it, andre is making it sound like this is the end to world hunger this is the end to airplanes and cruise ships and trains and cars and whatever right. you know we can go to other planets now if they plunk one of these things on the moon or mars we can just teleport there and she's holding this ashtray and like you said the made in japan is reversed and she kind of says that 
cute little line where she said, oh, I hope you don't put me in one of these things. I don't want to turn out like this. He doesn't want to turn out made in Japan. <laughs> Racism. And Andre takes this really hard, essentially. He, he leads her out of the lab by ignoring her, and he gets back to work to mm-hmm. try to solve this issue. And this is where we really see the mad scientist, like how deeply focused he is. We, we see it with his family, which, you know, this is domestic drama going on, but like his wife, his kid talking about how they never see him yeah. never have dinner with him anymore because he's just working on this machine all day i just want to talk to you about the lab i love that set it's kind of minimalistic in the amount of things that are in there like if you compare that yeah. lab to dr frankenstein's lab it, it's two very different labs but, well it's in color first of all well exact first off it's in color they they remembered to paint the set this time <laughs> exactly yeah that's how but, color film works right <laughs> Yeah, I think so. But I loved those neon lights that we got like 50 shots of throughout the whole movie every time they turned that teleporter on. Okay. I just I love them. I don't know if it's them. 50, but... Yeah. <laughs> but, dude, if I, could, if, I, if I had the money, I would hire somebody to make me neon lights that looked exactly like that. I just love those. I don't know what it is about them. And the goggles that they wear to watch this thing teleport. Oh, I do like the goggles. It's so 50s sci-fi, you know? Like, it's sure. just awesome. I wish I had a pair of sunglasses like that. It's like something Daft Punk would be wearing. <laughs> or it's like the uh, the goofy glasses from Ghoulies. It's like that scene. <laughs> so Andre gets back to work to perfect this teleporter. And sometime later, I don't know, days, weeks, he sends a newspaper through the teleporter and it comes out perfectly. Mm-hmm. All the words are the right way around and everything. So he's like, oh, this is great. And then out of the corner of his eye, their house cat, uh, Dandelo. This is, that is great. Name? I don't have to uh, continue printing newspapers in Hebrew anymore. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. This is when he kills the cat. Though. Yeah, this, this is when is he great. kills the cat. I hate cats. This is awesome. This scene yeah, is great. And he, and yeah, and he puts the cat in a, in a saucer of cream in the teleporter, and then the cat just doesn't show up on the other end. It disappears, and he's killed his Yeah, he, cat. like, hears it. It's like, eh. Yeah, he, he kind of like, like hears it, but, fading it's, but off it hasn't into the ether, <laughs> manifested much, you know? itself. So it's just lost in the atoms of the air or something. Yeah. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Well, a few weeks after this, Andre has actually perfected his teleporter. So to celebrate, he takes Helene to the ballet. They pop some bubbly after they teleported, of course. And after they teleport a guinea pig <laughs> who survives and doesn't disappear like the cat. And I guess that's just to show us that, oh, it finally works now. There's no issue with it. And though Helene is really happy for her husband, she makes him promise never to test on animals again. Oh, yeah, because he admits that that that's what happened to the cat because (laughs) they just assumed the cat ran away or something. Yeah, yeah, there's a line earlier. She's like, eventually. She said, my husband's in the lab all the time. My kid's acting like a crazy person. And I've lost the cat. I don't know where it is. Turns out. It's gone. It was reduced to atoms and scattered all over the universe. So the next day, Andre invites Francois, his brother, over to see the teleporter in action. But when Veep arrives at the house, Andre has holed himself up in the lab, and he's posted a mm-hmm. note on the door saying something to the effect of, do not disturb. Right. And at the same time, Philippe tries to show his mom a funny-looking fly with a white head and a white arm, but she dismisses him. So the whole day passes, Francois is long gone, and Andre still hasn't left his lab. He hasn't even touched food that's been put outside of his lab by the maid. So Helene decides to take a look, and to her shock, she finds a note typed 
by Andre that says, I need your help. There's been an accident in the lab. Uh, you have to find, like, a, like I'm going to let you in. You have to promise not to look at me. You have to find a white-headed fly in the other room, stuff like that. They're communicating via knocks, like knocks yeah. on the desk, knocks on the door. Mm-hmm. So that's his yes and no and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. one knock yes, two knocks yeah, <laughs> yeah, two knocks yeah, <laughs> three <laughs> knocks <laughs> yes. Also, why not? He just he can't say no. <laughs> uh, anyways, Helene enters the lab and uh, her husband looks really goofy. I like I really like this movie, but this part's kind of got a towel over his head. He's, yeah, he's got he's, a black towel and, and he's always oh, got his arm in his pocket. Exactly, his coat pocket. She goes in, looks for the fly in the other room. She can't find it. And she's, she's trying to convince him to go up to bed. She goes, oh, honey, don't worry. It doesn't matter what you look like. You know, we, we'll, I'll just sneak you upstairs. We'll go to bed. And he kind of loses his temper. He loses his composure, I should say. And he throws his arm, which is connected to the hand that he's hiding. And you see, like, this fly claw, <laughs> like a fly leg hand. Great stuff. Yeah, it's fantastic. And, uh, yeah, Helena is shocked, as anyone would be. So it turns out that Andre had actually successfully teleported himself, but I guess it was when he tried again, a fly had gotten into the chamber with him, and mm-hmm. their atoms intertwined, leaving him with the head and arm of a fly, and a fly with <laughs> his head and arm and a part of an upper torso, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, we eventually see that. Fly. Yeah, it's great. That's fantastic. The next day, Helene, the housemaid, Philippe, they're all spending their time trying to catch this white-headed fly. And after not spotting it for the whole day, Helene's about to give up when she spots it in the house. She tries to catch it, slips through a crack in the window, and it flies away. And she's devastated because now she, like, she, she fully grasps what's going on. Because at this point, Andre believes that there's no chance in hell to, that they're ever going to catch this fly. And he feels mm-hmm. less human and I, I guess like more fly. Like he, he's, yeah, he feels yeah, like he's, he's losing his um, willpower. You, you, you see it in his performance. He's becoming less and less even though he doesn't say anything you know since the beginning of this you you see it in his performance that he's you know becoming less human not necessarily more fly-like because what are flies like but he's (laughs) not he's not all there exactly yeah he's becoming just agitated more irritated what do they feed him like sugar water or something wasn't it cream with rum is that what milk with rum Oh, so yeah. he's a drunk, too. <laughs> what a drunk. Goddamn, Andre. Serves the French right. What drunks. That man is a CIA agent. <laughs> Felix Leiter. He gets his leg bit off by a shark in, uh, in, wh- wh- which one is that? Um, License, License to Kill. License to Kill. Yeah. Which they really screwed it up. Like, the, that, whole, that whole movie, it's like, it's Bond's revenge mission, right? Like, he's not yeah. acting as part of MI6. But then they didn't even kill off Felix Leiter. They they just like revealed no, that they they had, oh he's okay. And I'm like, what? I thought that was what this was all about. I thought he was going to murder people, but nope. You got to admit though, "License to Kill" by Gladys Knight, pretty solid song. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Doesn't okay. really stand out to me. Okay, we'll talk about this off mic, sir. So Helene, after Andre is saying, you know, you're going to have to kill me eventually if we can't find this fly because I can't live like this. This is insane. Like, this is insanity. Helene convinces him to go back into the teleport to try to sort himself out. And he's trying to explain to her, look, I still need the fly. And she goes, well, just try for me. Just try. So he goes, "Okay, I will. So he goes in, but he still comes out. I just realized, is this a Clint Howard origin story, this movie? (laughs) 
Does that explain his appearance? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, that might be it. What do you think he went into a teleporter with? Uh, one of those aliens from Star Trek, probably. Oh, no. <laughs> one of those, like, remember in the original series, they had, like, the, uh, at the end credits, they always had, like, stills from various episodes, and there was, like, those big bulbous green head aliens with, like, the big white eyes. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> You'd know them if you saw them. Okay. I think that's what he went into the teleporter with. <laughs> okay. Maybe the dog with the horn glued to it. <laughs> that's the best alien in the whole show. That's it's, the best it's adorable. One. So, yes, Andre goes back in the teleporter, but he comes out still looking like a fly. And we know that because there's this awesome reveal when Helene just snatches the cloth off his head and he's got this awesome fly mask on with these big, beautiful, bulbous, fly-like eyes. And she just starts screaming. And we cut to his view. And he sees, yeah. like, a hundred Helene screaming and shocking. That shot is amazing. That I That is so cool and so creative. It's like a kaleidoscopy thing. I mean, it's, it's relatively simple. Mm-hmm. But it's so, like, imaginative to give us that look. Like, it's just really cool. Yeah, it's it also great. just one hell of a scream. She was fantastic. She was absolutely great. And then when she stumbles back and passes out, that was just, <laughs> like, it was a little over the top, but it was fantastic. You know, I was like, well, this is pretty sol- solid acting. I think overall the acting in this movie is quite good. I, I think, like, um, you know, a lot of people, I'm going to, segue a bit here i'm going to talk a tiny bit about the remake i understand you haven't seen it but i'm talking about remakes in general of 50s sci-fi right because there's a lot of or maybe not a lot of but there's a few famous remakes of 50s sci-fi movies that are heralded as classics maybe more so than the originals there's the thing from another world and john carpenter's the thing Mm -hmm. there's invasion of the body snatchers which was remade in the 70s and then there's the blob, and then there's this. Those are kind of like the big four of movies that have all are all like classic as original films, and then kind of have classic remakes to a certain extent. Probably the blob, the least of them, but you know the blob's a fine movie. Chuck Russell's the blob, but I think a lot of people, a lot of like horror fans who like those movies, like those remakes. I think a lot of them don't really see the original movies and kind of assume they're just kind of schlocky or stupid, right? Because yeah. we think of, like, bad 50s science fiction, mm-hmm. right? You know, Ed Wood being, you know, being the extreme <laughs> and, and stuff like that. And yeah. Stuff that was on Mystery Science Theater 3000, like that kind of stuff. And it's like, yeah, but those movies were good. I, I love 50s science fiction. I think it's um, it can be a bit boring at times because it's usually it's very dialogue heavy or it tends to be and there's a lot of um expository dialogue and all that stuff and then the acting too in oftentimes has aged you know poorly Mm -hmm. i think in this movie though i i don't find this movie boring at all i think it's you know once the problem is introduced there's that ticking clock element even though you're never actually certain how much time he has you know he is running out of time and I think that works really well. And I, I think every scene, once we realize that he's, you know, half fly is just really, really tense. I think the acting's good. I think um, uh, Patricia Owens is really good here. Uh, she's very convincing as woman whose husband has become a fly. I think, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not an easy role to pull off. 
and I'm not yeah, going to... what does she I'm have not, to look I, back to for that? You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, I mean, the acting in this movie, I'm not, I'm not saying it's, like, Oscar-worthy or even Oscar-worthy for the 50s. You know, certainly not bringing it to, like, Daniel Day-Lewis and all that stuff. But I don't know. I think this is a pretty well-acted movie, even by today's standards. Like, it's not, it's not amazing, but I think everyone... Even the kid, I think, is pretty good. Like, everyone is convincing enough for material that, if handled differently, if handled with a worse script or worse worse actors, would be goofy as hell. Yeah, for sure. Some people watching this will still find it goofy, and that's fine. I don't. I I think this is a really well-done movie. You know what? And I I totally agree with you. I think this could have gone in such a poor direction with lesser actors, lesser writing— Right, um, and that's, like I said, I haven't seen it, but that's supposedly what Return of the Fly is. Yeah, you know, too, I, I if I'm, this is a hot take here. I think perhaps the actor I liked the least in the movie was Vincent Price. Okay. Well, I mean, he has a decidedly very different role than anybody yeah. else. I mean, well, so I, I, I don't know. I, I Near the beginning as well, I found that he was delivering some lines more like, I can't even describe describe it like he was almost auditioning and i you know i'm not i'm not an actor so who am i to criticize and i'm also not vincent price so who am i to criticize he was just delivering some lines kind of strangely i thought in this kind of over dramatic way but then again that is vincent price i think i understand what you mean but i didn't have a problem with that i i thought he was perfectly fine i guess well exactly i mean by the end of the by the end of the movie, I thought, like, it didn't really detract for me. I just thought it was kind of interesting that this famous, world-famous, world-round actor was being a little hammy. However, that being well, said... Well, Vincent Price has it's always been a little hammy. Well, <laughs> I mean, this is some <laughs> exactly. of the least hammy you, you will see him in, at least as far as horror is concerned. Yeah, well, I mean, this isn't, you know, the abominable Dr. Fibes, for sure. Or House on Haunted Hill, or yeah. you know, all the, the Tingler. <laughs> yeah. But I will say, have you seen the trailer for the original Fly? Possibly. Certainly not not anytime recently. Well, it's fantastic because it's almost like uh, the trailer starts with Vincent Price walking up to the camera and kind of excitedly saying, this tale is so terrifying. It's it's so awful. Like, I couldn't even begin to describe it to you, and I don't really want to go into much detail about it. You'll just have to see it, you know? <laughs> it's like, a, it's a fantastic trailer with Vincent Price. It's, okay. It's like if... Any listeners out there, you get the chance, get a second, pause this, watch it on YouTube. It's fantastic. And also watch this on YouTube as well, because that's where I found it anyways. Because again, in Canada, oh, this is not on any is. streaming I, oh, sites. Oh, I wasn't sure what the latter this is. I'm oh, like, yeah. Hey, well, that, well, the trailer for The Fly, The Fly sure. from 1958, and also King Kong versus Godzilla. Because again, if you're in Canada, you're SOL. You're up the creek without a paddle on this one. So anyways... Helene passes out from sheer shock and horror. While she's passed out, Andre is so upset about the whole thing that he starts to destroy the teleporters and burn his notes that he, and journals that he's kept about them. Mm-hmm. And uh, he erases this chalkboard with um, with equations and stuff on them. And mm-hmm. he was doing this because you know he he can't possibly let this fall into other people's hands. This will just like this technology will just run amok. <laughs> Like, think of, like someone will fuck it up, right? Exactly. Just the way he fucked it up because he fucked it up with good intentions. Exactly, right? exactly. Like <laughs> it's the same thing as the original Godzilla, the um, scientist that creates the um, that water, the thing. oxygen destroyer, yeah. insists on going down to detonate it so he can die with it, so no one else can copy that technology. Yeah, exactly, awesome. exactly. It's exactly like that. You're right. It's heroic. 
Very it's heroic. awesome seeing a guy with a fly mask just run around with an axe. There's just something satisfying <laughs> about that, too. Yeah. But I, I'm, I'm a simple man, okay? I enjoy seeing people with fly masks running around with axes. Like, I'm not... Well, and I, also... I, I, who can resist? Well, and know? also, it's a really good mask. It's a good-looking It is, mask. yeah. When Compared it's got the to... close-ups, it's got, like, the moving around of the little yeah, mandibles the... or whatever around the mouth. Yeah, yeah the, yeah, the sucker thing, too, and the eyes look beautiful and compared to the costumes we see in our next movie this <laughs> this oh, God, is better yeah. <laughs> by far yeah but now here's the question though do you want fly mask running around with an axe or do you want king kong getting drunk and f- passing out which is the, the more i'll take king kong lot. getting drunk and passing out exactly I, I, I think it's close though i think <laughs> yeah. it's close yeah well andre in his kind of final moments of of humanity I guess you could say, or like being able to fight off this fly. He starts writing on the chalkboard. You have to take me to, you you have to kill me. You have to get rid of me. We got to stop this. You need to kill me now is essentially what he's saying. And then he writes, love you to Helene. And together they head over. I said the same thing after seeing Jack and Jill. (laughs) Oh, that's the joke of the day right there. (laughs) Ah, uh, fuck you, Adam Sandler. Nah, he's he's fine. He's fine. He, I I like him. I like him. That, I'm uh, I'm over Adam. Like it's Adam Sandler is a joke. It's not even really worth pointing out at this point. So together, Helene and Andre head over to the factory. Andre sets the hydraulic press. He lays himself on the slab and he points to Helene to hit the red button. The first press crushes his head, and I don't know if you caught this. But there's kind of like a wide of his back, which most of his body is obscured by like a pole. But there's like a wide. Mm-hmm. And up on the ground, there's like a bunch of goop. Did you see that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. And then uh, because the first press only got his head, Helene has to run over and pick up his fly arm and put that on the press. Mm-hmm. And then the second press obviously gets his arm. So we cut back to present day and the inspector <laughs> and Francois are shocked by this crazy insane unbelievable story and francois kind of instinctively i mean to be fair though vincent price shouldn't be shocked he's been in dozens of far goofier (laughs) movies than this (laughs) the very next year he makes a movie called the tingler which is about if someone cannot scream a monster grows on their spinal cord until it like comes out and eats people it's great the tingler is awesome do you think if Vincent Price was alive today, he'd be doing all of, like, the schlockiest, shittiest horror movies today? Like, you know what I mean? Like, he'd be in Shark Exorcist. I, that's a good question, because I I, I I have a hard time believing he would say no, but at the same time, <laughs> there are certain movies he's above. Like, he's not in those mystery science theater movies, you know? Yeah, but yeah, he's he's not above Scooby Doo, and we've had this conversation. In well, what, what's wrong? Scooby Doo was like a haven for cameos. Isn't Vince Lombardi in Scooby Doo? It's like they Probably. just gave yeah. a cameo to like everybody. Like that's different. I don't know. I I think I think Vincent Price would have enough respect for himself to avoid the Sharknado movies and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he'd be an Aqua Slash. Maybe Aqua Slash. Oh, yeah, you know what? That'd be a good. One. Wouldn't he be great as like a pool lifeguard? Like. <laughs> like David Hasselhoff in Piranha 3 Double D. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> he'd be yelling in like his booming stage voice. Hey, be careful of the slide. No, he, he'd be yeah. he'd be in like the Underworld movies though. He he would be like oh, the big sure. bad guy in the Underworld. Or like Blade, movies, probably. 
I could see him in Blade. Blade. Doing yeah, something. I don't even remember. So, anyways, back in present day, Francois believes her story pretty much immediately, but the inspector thinks she's insane. And the inspector tells Veep, he's like, look, the only way I'm going to believe this crazy outlandish story is if you catch this fly everybody's been harping mm-hmm. on about so much. So <laughs> I love this scene so much. So as Veep is sitting outside waiting for the cops and nurses, I assume, to drag her off to a loony bin, this fly gets caught in a spider's web next to his bench. And <laughs> we, the audience, can just hear it yelling, <laughs> help me. Help I love the, how like soft that sound is at her, at first because you you can hear it you know you're hearing something but it is very faint. That's exactly it, and you're like, wait, what is that? Oh, <laughs> that's weird. Somebody's yelling, help me, <laughs> you know. And the close up of this uh, thing is amazing because it's just a guy, you know, <laughs> with a fly body costume. Yeah, that's uh, exactly it. And it's uh, like he's. And then there's like a costume spider too that we get a couple shots of. It's it's awesome. It's a little silly, but it's oh, great. It's, yeah, it's fa- it's fantastic. And I guess like the, the climax here is this fly is trapped in the web. Vincent Price is sitting next to it, and you think he's going to hear this fly, and he doesn't. And he goes back inside to watch mm-hmm. these nurses drag poor Helene away. Right. And as he's leaving, as everything's kind of wrapping up, he uh, Philippe runs into the house looking for his mom. Veep grabs him, and they're just kind of shooting the shit walking down the stairs and the kid very nonchalantly (laughs) casually says oh hey i saw that fly again Mm -hmm. and vincent price is like oh yeah did you wait what you saw this fly yeah (laughs) where he goes oh on the spider web up by the bench so price and the inspector run out and as you as you mentioned there's that close-up of this guy in like a fly costume stuck to this web screaming help me with this great spider costume coming in to eat him and just as the spider devours this fly, and after the inspector and Vincent Price have both seen it, the inspector <laughs> lifts up this rock and just crushes the spider and this mutant fly in one go. And right then and there, the inspector and Vincent Price go, "I think we could, I think we could rule this as a suicide. We could say the guy killed himself in the hydraulic press." Yeah, I think. Oh that's yeah, the way well, we'll Vincent go with this. Price like <laughs> turns it on the guy, and he's like, "Wait a second! If she committed murder, so did you." <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 If she killed a fly with a human body, and you've killed a human with a fly's body, then you both are murderers. And yeah, so it was it was ruled a suicide, and Philippe Veep and uh, Helene live happily ever after i guess after that but there's a great line at the very end when um i, I can't remember for the Do life you really of live happily after your husband turned into a fly no i don't think so but they yeah. live they live ever after i think that's going to be on their minds for a while <laughs> for <many laughs> when years. philippe is old enough to to know what happened to his dad he'll just be like what what are you talking about <laughs> yeah oh what what my dad was insane uh well yeah but there's that great line at the end when philippe asks vincent price what happened to his father and what does he say? He's like, your father... He says he tampered in God's domain. That's it. No, no, it's not. That's no, the that's final line in <laughs> Pride of the liar. Monster. No, what does he say? Don't say here. that. He says... It works more here than it does in Pride of the Monster. Yeah, what does he say, though? He goes, your your father... Um... Oh, fuck. Now you fucked me up. I wrote it down. I can't find it. Anyways, great line. <laughs> that's the end of the movie. Uh... <laughs> y- <laughs> whatever (laughs) hold on hold on hold on let me google this let me google this no okay whatever it's fine never mind Um, that's it that's the end of the movie patrick what'd you think about the fly from 1950 i really 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 enjoy the fly for me because i love 50 sci-fi 50 sci-fi to me and I'll, i'll talk about 
I'm talking about the long 50s, okay? In, in literary studies, we have this thing called the long 18th century, which is basically the restoration of the English crown to, like, the Victorian age. So it's the 1700s, or it's the 1660s through the 1830s or so. Um, mm-hmm. And people call it the long 18th century just because the 18th century in literature is kind of boring, so they want to include more stuff, I assume. I don't know. But I'm going to talk about, I love long the long 50s in science fiction because that's i'm including this Twilight zone which started in the 50s but was mostly in the 60s the outer limits all that stuff that 60s stuff i think once we get to star trek we're moving away from the long 50s so i'm I'm going from 50 to about 65 or so i love that that to me is like the movie doesn't even have to be great for me to kind of be into it already just because i love the science fiction imagination from that time period I do think this is a really good movie. I think it's in that second tier of 50s sci-fi. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, I'd put it along with like Quatermass and The Thing from Another World, The Blob. You know, it's not quite in that The Day the Earth Stood Still, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Forbidden Planet, you know, that first tier. But it's better than something like it, The Terror from Beyond Space or um, Invaders from Mars. Like, it's 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 really good. I, I enjoy it. It's... It's got a unique story structure that I think really works and really kind of amps up the suspense and the excitement when things get going. And yeah, I appreciate it. Jim, what about you? Yeah, I mean, the thing that makes it great is that it's first and foremost exciting to watch because you like even though you kind of know what what the outcome of this story is going to be, you are still on the edge of your seat because you're waiting for that moment that Andre turns himself into a fly. And then after that, you're waiting. You're waiting to see it. Exactly. Because even when you kind of know that's what happened, that's what's happened. You haven't yet seen the beautiful monster mask. That's <laughs> that's exactly it. Then after you see it, you're waiting to see how they attempt to deal with this situation, and it's just a fast-paced, fast-moving, interesting, exciting story to watch unfold on screen. And then I guess the acting too. Like as we already mentioned, I mean, yeah, the acting is good. It's I think it's pretty good even by today's standards it's 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 above average for a film at this at in 1958 i think this could have gone downhill with lesser actors and oh for really, sure we're lucky that it didn't because we're there is a we, silliness to it. the story yeah i mean there's a silliness to the costume but the costume doesn't feel silly when you finally right. see the mask which is impressive yeah admittedly the the guy in the web looks a little silly maybe even more than a little but yeah. <laughs> you know it's the end of the movie I'm, yeah. I'm i'm here for it i agree so do you want to talk king kong versus godzilla oh my god you know i do from 1962 comes king kong versus godzilla this is godzilla this is the third godzilla film it's the first time godzilla's in color first time king kong is in color at least to my knowledge toho made a few king kong movies I think they made one or two after this. I think this is their first one. King Kong was actually, even in Japan, was kind of a better known figure than Godzilla was at this point. Because this is seven years after the last Godzilla movie. And yeah, it's like 30 years after the original King Kong movie. But King Kong's classic. I mean, you know. Mm -hmm. So anyways, we've got these two monsters fighting, obviously. You know, the plot's in the title. Um, (laughs) But this is... They do a few things here with the um, monsters, or mostly with Kong, because Godzilla is more or less presented the way as we saw him in the previous two films. He's he's a villain. He has the same 
characteristics that he's always had, I guess. But he this, I mean, I like it in color now that we see that there's this blue when he's like breathing fire. His little dorsal fins are yeah, all blue I like and that. stuff. That looks I like kind of neat. That's cool. But they made King Kong kind of bumbling. And I read and I read at some point that this was like an attempt to kind of humanize him because he's the hero of the story. They they want him to be sympathetic. So they basically just made him kind of dumb. <laughs> and I think that's to the benefit of the movie, not necessarily in terms of me sympathizing with Kong, but it's pretty fun to just see him trip over things, you know, this guy in the monkey suit. Or trip down the side of Mount Fuji in a climactic fight. That's, yeah, obviously we'll have to talk about that. Yeah, because that's, I mean, the movie... Okay, so King Kong vs. Godzilla, I've seen it a bunch of times, saw it so many times as a kid, always the dubbed version. This is not a very good movie, but it's, <laughs> it's a movie that holds a special place in my heart. And I think even watching it now, regardless of my nostalgia for it, I do think it's genuinely entertaining in a few parts. Those parts are mostly at the end, <laughs> admittedly. But, the, you know, the giant octopus scene is kind of fun. That's great. I love that. I mean, the the effects are kind of bad because the camera's constantly moving, which makes it look like everyone who's spliced into the foreground is moving when they're not. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> you know, it's fun to see King Kong drink his berry juice and get drunk and fall Berry over. booze. <laughs> so, as for our human characters, we've got a couple guys that work for... A pharmaceutical company. Wait, hold on, hold on a second, hold on. Sorry to cut you off. How does this movie start for you? How does this movie start? Okay, this movie starts with, like, uh, you see the globe. Okay. And somebody's talking about something, and then it's revealed that this is a television show that the pharmaceutical company is financing, even though it's a disaster and nobody watches it. Now, is this television show, like, an American fella? No. And or maybe it was. I don't remember. I don't think so. So it wasn't speaking English. Well, when I was watching, it starts out with this American fella who looks very American. Like very American in the sixties. You know what I mean? He's got Cowboy the hair. Hat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's smoking Marlboros. But like he's he's very American. It opens with him talking about climate change and Yeah, melting. I kinda of vaguely remember that. It, okay, from when yeah. I was a kid. Yeah, and then he's talking about how there's a UN American submarine in the Arctic, and then okay, he... we we have the submarine in my version. Okay, yeah, and then but then right after that he cuts to a guy, like another newscaster in Chile who's experiencing lots of earthquakes. Okay, yeah, earthquakes completely not part of the official Ishiro Honda directed film. Okay, good. Cause this is I the knew... same director as the original film. I knew this was going to be interesting, because as soon as I started this one, I was like, look, I know I'm not... (laughs) You're not watching the right movie. I know I'm not watching this same one Patrick is watching. (laughs) Well, anyways, this uh, pharmaceutical company CEO, he's a goofy comic relief character. He's pissed off because his television ratings are terrible, and he wants something that will bring their TV ratings up, and... (laughs) There's this scientist that did some expedition at some remote island and said there's a monster there. And so pharmaceutical (laughs) CEO, his brilliant idea is let's bring the monster back and he can be our mascot. Okay, this is as dumb as it sounds, and it's beautiful. (laughs) So the two people he sends are Osamu and Kazuo, one of whom, they're both... One's more serious than the other. The other one's also kind of comic relief 
you watched the American dub, so you probably, I seem to recall him complaining about his corns a lot when they were hiking. Do you remember that? Yes, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember. The, the, there's no speaking of corns in, in, in the Japanese <laughs> film, but I do always remember that because I'm like, what are corns when I was a, a kid? That's like, <laughs> yeah, he, he just kind of gets sick when they're at the island. But anyways, they, they go to, well, first of all, one of them has a sister, and she's got a boyfriend. And the boyfriend in one of the more memorable non-monster scenes is showing off this like ultra thin string that he has or like um metal metal wire yeah and he's taking it and he's just like swinging from the balcony even though he doesn't tie it to anything over his head he's (laughs) (laughs) it's really stupid but it's a lot of fun i remember that scene from when i was a kid anyways that string comes back later a lot of (laughs) things actually are set up in this movie they are yeah it's not not willing to call it a great script by any means, no. but we, but we learn early on that one of the pharmaceutical guys drums. Actually, both of them drum, I think, and that's important later. See, I didn't learn any of that in... Okay, well, yeah, because there's like a behind-the-scenes thing where they're shooting a commercial for the pharmaceutical companies, and one of the guys is drumming for the commercial, and he like is exhausted and they're like wait what the hell are you doing and he's like oh my they couldn't find my buddy and they really needed to shoot this commercial so i think it's i think it's the other one that drums later in the movie even though we established that this guy can drum so it's a little weird but so here i'm just gonna i'm just gonna tell you if you don't so if you're like me and don't watch the subversion, you are immediately Stupid. lost yeah exactly okay. you're an idiot because you cut from this american guy telling you crazy things like oh godzilla's Okay, well, we do have the American submarine. That's that's still... Well, I'll get to that. But then he talks about the berries, and he's like, they're on an island, uh, and a pharmaceutical okay, yeah. company's trying to get there, and then it cuts to the scene with the like the four fellas at the pharmaceutical company sitting around the table, and one of them's the boss, and they're talking about the okay, berries. Okay, yeah, the goofy CEO guy. Yeah. Okay. Well, anyways, American submarine, they are investigating some kind of weird light source over at this glacier or iceberg, and of course... We remember from Godzilla Raids again that Godzilla was trapped in ice, so this doesn't go over well. Um, <laughs> Godzilla, I guess, well, it's actually kind of, Godzilla doesn't really take them, I mean, he eventually takes them out, but they crash into the iceberg first. Even, <laughs> they do, um, yeah. So it's kind of on them, and then Godzilla, you know, sinks them, I guess, but then he gets free. I like how within seconds of Godzilla freeing himself from the ice, he's got a battle with the military. Like it's like they were ready for it. It's that great. Scene, the scene where he frees himself from the ice is so exciting to watch because there's like a helicopter flying overhead. Yeah, and he's like breaking his way out of like this model, <laughs> this model iceberg. <laughs> it's so cool, literally and figuratively. Oh, I see. Yeah. So over on whatever island Kong is on, we we get a very odd scene where the pharmaceutical guys are trying to talk to the natives and they brought along another goofy side character some japanese guy in blackface um <laughs> yeah who is like translates for them and yeah he's dressed kind of like waldo yeah and then they eventually they they're able to befriend the natives and how do they do that jim with cigarettes with cigarettes and music. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the a radio. kid even yeah. gets a cigarette. It's great. It's yeah, wonderful he gets, stuff. He gets two cigarettes and his mom takes one. Well, his mom takes, yeah, uh, the same kid who's nearly murdered by a giant octopus later <laughs> in the film. But yeah, so they're all looking for Kong, but then one of the guys gets sick or 
if you're watching Jim's version, his corns hurt, so he's just like bedridden <laughs> from painful corns. That's they, exactly to be honest, it. they don't really explain <laughs> what happens in the Japanese version. I know, I know he gets like a lizard stuck on him, and he's swinging that around for a while, but they but they just don't really explain it. He's just kind of sick. So when the kid goes to get him some berries or whatever, like I guess they use that as medicine, his the little hut that he's in where all the berry juice is is attacked by a giant octopus, which is pretty cool. It's a real octopus in most of the shots, even like the special effects shots, because it's just um, rear screen projection, I guess. I thought it and, was so impressive. Sorry to cut you off. I thought it was so impressive. A lot of it is. That. I mean, like, it's, it's not... Yeah, I like the model stuff here. And then obviously Kong gets over here. And Kong, I wanted more from this scene. I wanted Kong to kill this thing. He Instead, he kind of scares it off. They fight a bit. Throw some rocks. Kong throws a lot of rocks in this movie. That's kind of his main (laughs) fighting method. That's better than throwing shit, I guess. Yeah, you're saying that the film is worse if it's more realistic and he just throws shit at things. (laughs) Yeah, just piles of shit. (laughs) So anyways, Kong has saved the day. You know, the kid's okay. The mo- the kid's mom saved him. And then Kong just drinks the berry juice, which is conveniently <laughs> in very large cauldrons or whatever yeah, so yeah. that he can pick them up. And this is where we, you know, we get some, for lack of a better term, beauty shots of the Kong mask. Or I or maybe it's, I think it's a hand puppet in the close-ups. But I like how you're like, lack of a <laughs> better term. Well, yeah, no, this is a janky-looking monkey. I mean, he does not look good. <laughs> This is not a good Kong look. The, the monkey, there's so many scenes where they show up a, like a close-up of his face and <laughs> his pupils are like staring in different directions. Like it looks like the monkey was hit in the face, in the face with a frying pan. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> he probably deserves it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this is not a good King Kong look. It just isn't. He looks bad. The face is really weird. You know, the body, it's whatever. You know, it's a gorilla suit. Like, it's its fine. The guy, the actor moving around, yeah, he walks on two legs the entire time, but he walks a little different. He walks like you would when you're imitating a gorilla walking on two legs, I guess. You know, you that's know what he fine. walks like exactly? And I was... <laughs> I was watching this movie. I took my glasses off to test my theory. It looks like the exact same suit that that person used to fake that famous Bigfoot photo. You know what I mean? Okay. And the guy's... And the guy's got sure. like, the same walk and everything. It's like same color. He's got his chest out, you know. He's yeah, puffed yeah. up chest kind of thing. But anyways, Kong passes out from drunkenness. Well, they actually, it's its not just the drinking. Because then the entire village does this like chant and dancing. And then there's mm-hmm. drums. And that like lulls him to sleep. Yeah. So at this point though, back in the, back in Japan... Even though pharmaceutical CEO guy is really excited because they're about to get their monster, all of the news is talking about Godzilla. And he's kind of like, well, shit, you know, we're going to have a monster, <laughs> but nobody cares. They only like Godzilla. So there's a very minor amount of, like, satire going on, I think, with the... Um, I don't even know how much of this is in the dubbed version. I have a feeling a lot of this it's guy in- is cut out. The movie, no, he's, but... he's trust me, he's in there way too much. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, he's, he's very goofy. He's, he's every... Almost every character in this movie is like a comic relief character, first of all. It's just, you know, it's just, it's too much. But this is, I suppose, this is, you know, in, in in the Godzilla series, we're getting more and more close to making these movies kind of for kids. We're not fully there yet, but we're only the third movie in, but we're already completely gone from the, the realization of the horrors of, 
atomic weaponry and stuff like that that shit is gone like the Mm -hmm. social commentary is just like yeah it's a monster movie you know who cares well i was surprised when godzilla starts kind of approaching tokyo from a distance and they're like are we going to use the atomic bombs yet (laughs) it's like in the first movie they wouldn't they would never have talked about using atomic weaponry just dropping it all over japan you know what i mean like they actually i guess they did didn't they (laughs) <laughs> maybe I well don't they remember. used the oxygen destroyer did, did japan have atomic weapons in 54 i don't think so well, i mean the americans yeah. were there so well that's true yeah all right well at any rate they bring kong back he's on the raft and and now with the announcement of a new monster in town all of a sudden kong is starting to get this pharmaceutical company a lot of good publicity you know people are forgetting about godzilla because kong is the new star of the show the goofy CEO flies out to meet them on the ship and acci- ac- nearly blows up Kong on accident because there's <laughs> Kong is on this raft and it's like wired to detonate in case anything goes wrong and he like leans on the thing not realizing what it is. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> there's eventually the government or the military or something like boards their ship and says that, you know, they don't have permission to bring Kong into the country so technically they're smuggling him but that doesn't really go anywhere yeah it it literally goes nowhere yeah it goes nowhere but eventually kong wakes up and so they try to blow it up the ceo this time doesn't want it to blow up but he ends up falling on the what do you call those things the uh little detonator he falls on it but it doesn't work and they try to blow him up but it doesn't work so kong is free as of course is godzilla their first meeting (laughs) <laughs> is in the beautiful hillside of some backlot set. <laughs> it's it's like I, yeah. almost, I almost hesitate to call it a fight. Kong throws a rock or two. I think he throws two rocks. One hits him. One hits yeah. Godzilla. The other doesn't. Yeah. Kong sucks. Uh, and then Godzilla <laughs> just breathes some fire and kind of like scares him away. It's like the most anticlimactic first meeting of two powerhouse characters you've ever seen yeah. in your life. But to be fair, we need... This is... This movie exists in a universe where King Kong is powered by electricity, so he right now he is not <laughs> capable of taking on Godzilla. Electric Kong. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the only way he has a chance. He eventually chews on some power lines and, and is able to fight him. So uh, what's, what's the next? Okay, so Kong at one point destroys a train and then kidnaps one of the main character's sisters. Mm-hmm. And then he goes and climbs... A building which is smaller than him, which you know, it's a, he more like steps on it, like, but but it supports his weight somehow. Um, I, Wikipedia says that's the National Diet Building or something like that, so it's like oh. some Japanese landmark of some sort. Yeah, National Diet Building. Oh yeah, yeah, it looks exactly the same. Good model then, <laughs> or, or set, I guess. Oh wait, now is the National Diet the, both building... houses of the National Diet of Japan meet? Oh, so, oh, so I I thought it was a literal diet. It's not. <laughs> the diet is is like their government. Yeah, I was just looking that up because I was confused. Yeah, it makes more sense because I don't know, you know, how many countries have buildings dedicated to diets, you know. Sure, you have a health ministry of some kind, but. Fun fact, in Japan, they have a fat tax. If, if they you do, go to the doctor, I have heard that. Yeah, if you go to the doctor and they measure your waist and it's too big, you get taxed. Right. Also, watching this uh, dubbed, all the uh, English voice actors are 
mispronouncing every single Japanese word or place name. So at one point they're talking about Hokkaido, and Godzilla's going to land in Hokkaido, but they're all calling it Hokiado, Hokkaido, oh, no. Hakiado, ha- like Hakimoto. <laughs> You're like, okay. Tokayo. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it was a simpler time. It was a time when Sean Connery could put on Asian makeup, I guess, right? <laughs> so anyways... So Kong is on top of this, you know, the Capitol building, I guess you could say. And he's holding this woman. And of course, Kong, obviously, he's Godzilla size. So he's, you know, King Kong in the original King Kong is what, 25, 30 feet tall? Yeah, something you like know, that. You know, King Kong is a couple hundred feet tall. Again, he's like bigger than this building that he's standing on. Um, so they want to figure out like, okay, how do we get him down without hurting the person he's holding? And then, <laughs> then they, they remember... Oh, hang on. We can um, lull him to sleep because we can feed him berries, berry juice, <laughs> and then play them. They played the music, which I guess they recorded. It involves one of the main characters drumming, which I didn't think was necessary given that there's drumming on the recording. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But then they don't even feed him the berry juice. They more just like blow up berries above his head so they kind of fall down It's like berry him. mist. It's like berry, berry mi- yeah, mist. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's not juice at that point, but... <laughs> It's a, it's a, you know, it's a wonderful little scene. I like when he falls and just breaks us part of the building. Like, that's (laughs) just fun. I love it. Then, what do they do? Because they need Kong to fight Godzilla, because at this point, every effort to stop Godzilla has not worked, which, there's a great scene earlier where Godzilla basically falls on a trap door. I wanted to talk about that. That is my favorite. I was sitting here (laughs) My I, that shot is hilarious he's just like walking around and it's you know it's the guy in the godzilla suit and they slow it down just enough you know to convince you kind of that this is a big guy and then he just they have <laughs> they like a tumbles. trap like yeah. they cut out like a square mile of the ground and put like a fake um <laughs> like a, it's a, it's a pit. yeah he like, falls in a pit that's exactly what it is it reminds me of uh there's a fantastic bit in jackass i forget who it is but he digs a hole, like he digs a huge pit in his dad's front yard and then covers it with like like lattice and grass <laughs> to make it look like it's still part of the yard. And then his dad's right. driving like a lawnmower, like a riding lawnmower over it. And he drives, he drives right into the pit and his dad's Phil. He's this big fat dude, Phil. And he just crashes like 10 feet down into this pit. And that's exactly like what happened to Godzilla. <laughs> It was yeah. the dumbest thing. And I'm like, are you serious? And they built this, like you said, this giant pit with like, it was like a rebar It's, it's an the acre top. or two, given how big he is, you know? Yeah, it's a yeah. couple acres. <laughs> it was so funny. Watching him tumble in was my favorite thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I loved it so much. Yeah, it's great. I mean, again, with Godzilla, the original film is a masterpiece the original film does everything possible to convince you that it's not a guy in a costume. Yeah. Now we're seeing this costume in broad daylight in color. Yeah, you does not can't look really great. suspend your disbelief anymore. Yeah. And so at this point, it's just kind of fun to see a guy in a costume go through shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like uh, you know, you go to a sporting event and at any time like a mascot trips over something, it's oh, always that's funny. The best. Like there's this um. YouTube video, I think it was, there was some car dealership, I think in Minnesota, it's called, I think it's White Bear, I think it's Toyota, no, White Bear Mitsubishi, excuse me, I remember this from when I was an undergrad, this is a long time ago, but there is, they have like a guy in a costume, and it's just like a White Bear costume, 
but they were shooting a commercial and I, they they did air a commercial i don't think i've ever seen the final commercial but there was a video on youtube that got popular because it was all the outtakes of because they were filming on an ice rink because you know it's minnesota uh-huh. and the the <laughs> it was supposed to be there's like a the the car dealer is like there he's telling you something and then the um white bear is supposed to kind of slide up there but he doesn't have skates on because he's got these giant (laughs) mascot feet and he just kept falling and falling and falling (laughs) and it was take after take after take and it was just like it's the funniest thing but i can imagine being in that suit you hate your life you hate (laughs) everything that led you to that point but anyways um well, with this, with hopefully this God- that video is still around. I haven't seen it in about ten years. With this Godzilla movie, imagine how difficult it would have been to like maneuver in that dumb costume and like crush buildings instead of just trip over them. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, it is. I mean, there's a um, I think it might be in Mothra versus Godzilla, but there there are like a few, for lack of a better word, I'll say bloopers. There are a few bloopers that kind of make their way into the series. There's one scene where the Godzilla head catches fire. And they leave that in a movie because it looks awesome. But meanwhile, if you're the actor inside that, you're like scared to death. That's awesome. Uh, I think I think it's in Mothra versus Godzilla where he like trips at one point, and they leave Holy it in, shit. and he he trips into a model and tears it down, and they're like, "Yeah, it looks pretty cool. Let's keep it." You know. Oh. Well, plus, you're not rebuilding that model just yeah. just just looks, for another take. Looks awesome, John. We're we're leaving it in in the final edit. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, there's some fun Godzilla bloopers throughout the series. Um, and this, I mean, there's not any here. It's just fun to see a, cost- a guy in a big, dumb, bulky costume like that fall over, I guess. But yeah, so all the military's attempts to kill Godzilla have failed. And so they want Godzilla and Kong to fight. So they have to bring Kong to Godzilla, who's just chilling on um, Mount Fuji. And so they put a giant net underneath him and then used that super strong um, twine that we talked about earlier and tie that to balloons. And they drag <laughs> that sucker up into the air with some helicopters. And it's amazing. It is the, the shots of, of that janky ass Kong costume just kind of going up in the air and he's hanging because they don't even have him like his legs aren't hanging he's freely. Not even in, like, One of them's a like stuck position. Up. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. He's in the position that your dog is when he's lifting his leg on a mailbox. You know? <laughs> he's in the position. That's what he looks like. He's in the position that your funny. dog is when you sh- pick your dog up and just hold him. You know what I mean? Like hold him from like his front legs pretty much. And they eventually, they spot Godzilla on Mount Fuji and they, so they. <laughs> they air drop, man. <laughs> so they drop Kong off. <laughs> and this scene is, this might be my favorite part of the movie because, so they, so they, they blow up all the balloons so kong falls and they they couldn't like drop him off closer to the ground they drop him from like a couple hundred feet in the air <laughs> and he he goes down he hits the ground and then just sleds his way into godzilla and knocks <laughs> yeah, him over it's great and then they fight for a bit and then well actually pretty much after that because he knocks godzilla over and then kong gets up and like immediately hides and then when Godzilla has his back to him, then he kind of fights by grabbing his tail. And the fight's kind of awkward, but it's, you know, it's a little fun because, again, dumb costumes. But Kong is getting his ass handed to him. Um, like he, severely. Severe, yeah. Godzilla's kicking the absolute shit out of him. It, it doesn't help, too, that at one point Kong picks up a rock. Again, that's kind of a signature move in this movie, and he's going to throw it. 
and then he like trips over himself or something <laughs> again they tried to make kong goofy that is a conscious effort it's, this isn't embarrassingly bad or anything it's just stupid and it's comedic and yeah this there's a thing when like kong it's he's like a pitcher he's like winding up and he's throwing it but he his release like makes him flip over himself and he knocks himself out <laughs> Hitting his head on the rock. He gets knocked out twice in this scene. He's got severe concussions for sure. <laughs> severe head trauma. But at one point, of course, he chews on some electrical wires and then becomes supercharged Kong. And this is where he's actually able to put up a fight. And he kind of zaps Godzilla and, they, you know, they're fighting. They're at some, like, coastal town or something. I don't know what this is, but they're, they're, at, a, uh, they're at a castle. They mm-hmm. call it a castle. It's like that pagoda building. That pagoda style or whatever. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a traditional Japanese castle. I'll give it to them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because they fought uh, Godzilla, burnt Angerus to a crisp in front of that thing in Osaka in Godzilla Raids again. So, um, so they fight. <laughs> they fight in a way where the the castle's between them. So, so it's just the <laughs> castle gets torn apart, which is great. To anybody who hasn't seen this movie, when we say they fight, like I think you mentioned this earlier. I don't remember, but they're not like throwing punches it's two people in suits like grabbing each other by the shoulders <laughs> yeah and just kind of like a lot shaking of just, each other yeah that's what <laughs> and it is shimmying. I mean, <laughs> like, <laughs> that's the little dark secret of I mean, secret but you know of the godzilla series whenever i mean it's it's not a guy in a suit anymore obviously but in the classic godzilla costume movies you know godzilla he's a dinosaur he's a dragon he breathes fire and yet 90% of the time when he fights, he just fights like a human. Like he doesn't. Use, he rarely uses his teeth. Yeah. He's just kind of like wrestling. And, and he does throw punches, not in this movie necessarily. But he, there's, a, there's a great gif of, from one of the movies in the 90s when he's just like punching the shit, shit out of Mechagodzilla. It's awesome. Um, so, yeah, it's like they don't really do a whole lot with Godzilla's like fighting style to make him not seem like a guy. In, in, in a movie or a guy in a costume he does a lot of tail fighting in this movie i guess yeah yeah he's swinging it around a bit which you can oh tell he is... does the awesome drop kick which is the second time kong gets knocked out he does there's a <laughs> yeah, brief moment of stop motion because godzilla i guess uses his tail to go up and he kicks kong back and kong stumbles down a couple thousand feet and then hits his head on a rock again <laughs> that's one of the better yeah. moments of the movie to be fair and then, but yeah, that, that's all earlier than this because this fight at the castle is the end. They both fall into the water together, mm-hmm. and then all of our main characters who have been watching, you know, they see the Kong emerges from the water and, or and starts swimming away, and they, they, I don't even remember what the line was, but they have some dumb comment about cause these Godzilla movies are really big on like they'll use like the final line or so to like have some kind of moral or scientific kind of message and it's like something about like oh and they'll continue to be monsters so long as we don't treat the earth right or something like it's just like really (laughs) slapped together and it's like yeah okay you can maybe trick a child into thinking this movie has a message but you know it doesn't (laughs) um so jim what did you think of king kong versus godzilla oh man it was horrible what? Yeah, well, no, it was, like, horrible in, in that, like, it's not a fantastic movie. It's not that great. But it was so, it was so much, I got so much pleasure from watching it. It was so enjoyable to watch, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it was, 
I don't think it was anything special, but if you got a thing for watching two adult men wrestle each other in monster costumes <laughs> in Japanese movies, and yeah, this is your jam. This is great. <laughs> yep, it's my berry jam. Hey, there you go. Yeah, your drunk berry jam. You know, I'm a big Godzilla fan. I mean, I love the original King Kong, but overall, like, Kong has never been that interesting to me. He's just a big gorilla. Um, and here he's basically, he's not a big gorilla. He's a big, he's a person in a big gorilla suit basically because they, they really anthropomorphize him quite a bit here and and Mm -hmm. it does make him very silly. I like that Godzilla is treated seriously. I appreciate that. They go, they go a little too far with Kong in terms of if they're trying to make a good movie. But again, for, for just, you know, I don't think this movie is very good for, just me sitting down and watching it like i you know i think all the dumb things they did with kong are probably to the benefit of my enjoyment because it's incredibly stupid to see kong try and throw a rock and then flip himself over and knock himself <laughs> out like that's great it's like the white bear uh mitsubishi uh the, the commercial or the outtakes for it this is like our i'm not gonna say like a our perfect drive-in movie but this is what you kind of want once in a while at the drive-in you know what i mean <laughs> Sure. Pure silliness, pure yeah. unadulterated silliness. Yeah, and it's great. I for me cuz uh I I have to admit I haven't seen any other Godzilla movies, not even the second one that has already been covered on this on this uh podcast. Fraud. I know. I know. Don't worry. I'll watch it though before our wrap up. Don't worry. But I was shocked at how differently the character of Godzilla looked, I guess, and acted and yeah. was handled from the first movie to this movie yeah and how differently king kong was handled from like the original well yeah i and there really is no comparison between toho kong and Kong. like they're different creatures yeah exactly different characters i guess but as for as for godzilla yeah he looks a lot worse he looks he just looks better in black and white i i do appreciate the blue you know when he's Mm -hmm. breathing his atomic breath and everything but Overall, like, yeah, it's it doesn't look great, you know, but it's fine, whatever. But, you know, something that continued throughout the Godzilla movies, for me so far anyways, was the impressive model work. Okay. For me, one of the most impressive scenes was, like, an army fight that Godzilla has <laughs> near the beginning when all these, like, okay. anti-aircraft guns and, like, cannons. Once are, again, like, though, the tanks look awful. But the yes, tanks look awful, but I'm amazed yeah. at how they were, like, I guess they were all remote control I like how he melts them. That's pretty fun. Yeah, the melting tank. That was awesome. But, like, all of that stuff was just so much, like, it was just so enjoyable to watch. There was also a bit when, oh, Christ, I forget the character's name, but when he oh, went, I, I I didn't even bother referring to the names after yeah, a yeah. certain point. I'm just like, hey, they, they, I listed their names, and I don't know. I don't think I ever knew the CEO's name. He's just goofball. Yeah, well, when the one fella in the Jeep went to go get his sister... He's like driving along like those mountain roads. There was like there was model shots of a jeep driving along a mountain road, interspliced with the man actually driving the jeep. And I it it I had to rewind it and rewatch it because I was confused as to which one was the model. <laughs> like okay. I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like it actually got me. I was like, this is impressive. This is great. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just such a goofy, goofball, <laughs> schlocky movie, but it's so enjoyable to watch. You know, I think we've got two movies. I, I think a lot of people that will not have seen the original fly would probably assume these two movies are similar in terms of kind of tone and silliness. And that's really not the case, but this movie is that, you know, dumb, stupid, like it kind of makes you feel like a child. And I'm saying that, I mean, yeah, I saw this movie 
a lot as a kid, but I, there's just something so childlike about seeing a guy in a Godzilla costume fall through a trap door, you know, like <laughs> it just <laughs> brings out the inner child. Yeah. And, and that's what I, over time, that's what I've really come to love about Godzilla. I think Godzilla can be done in a very serious way. Obviously we saw it with the original, we've seen it with Shin Godzilla, but you know, the sillier the Godzilla is, even if those movies, I didn't watch them as a kid, they still kind of make me feel like a kid. Cause, um, you know, cause it actually gets sillier than this, believe it or not. There are, a lot sillier movies than King Kong vs. Godzilla in the oh, series, no. but oh no, yes. <laughs> well, son of Godzilla. I mean, you know, once Godzilla has a son, yeah, I'll have to take your word for it, and I will not be watching them until they show up in the rotation for our podcast. <laughs> All right, that's fair. All right, Jim, which of these two movies did you enjoy more? Well, you know, this is actually a really tough question because I really thoroughly enjoyed everything about The Fly. I thought it was all around a, a great movie, but I also loved the stupidity present throughout. Yeah, you enjoy them for very different reasons. <laughs> exactly. I agree. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to just be upfront. I agree with you. This is one of the harder. Which movie do I choose? Which which movie is more enjoyable? This is probably the hardest one I've had, the hardest question I've had to face in here for quite a while. I feel like I should go with The Fly because... I probably enjoyed that movie more just for everything about that movie I enjoyed. But I think I'm mm-hmm. going to have to go with Godzilla just because I laughed so hard watching okay. it <laughs> while watching okay. it. I, just, I loved it. But how about you, right. buddy? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, definitely tough decision. I will say just the a couple individual moments of King Kong vs. Godzilla trump anything in the fly. The drop kick, the um, <laughs> Kong knocking himself out after throwing a baseball and obviously the Godzilla falling in the pit that that stuff is better than anything in the fly in terms of just enjoyability for whatever reason yeah but overall I think the fly as all the the fly the movie as a whole works I mean obviously it works better but to me I enjoyed it more King Kong versus Godzilla has that if you could cut out 15 minutes you know because really all we want to see is the big fight scenes and stuff and there's some enjoyment. Like, I love the guy swinging around from outside the, his apartment and <laughs> on, the, on, the, on the metal twine or whatever. Yeah, like, there's yeah. some little moments of enjoyability. But, I mean, for the most part, the fly is just consistently entertaining all the way through. There's nary a dull moment where there are plenty of dull moments in King Kong versus Godzilla. This one was a tough choice. I, I would have picked both together if I could as equally enjoyable for me oh yeah I'm giving a thumbs up to both of them in terms of just pure enjoyment but King Kong vs. Godzilla is a bad movie but that's fine whatever but how do you think this stacks up as a a double feature I think this is an easier question than the last one I think it's a very good double feature we've got classic monster mayhem in both movies we've got in both cases there's some weird not weird but there's some cautionary scientific message in King Kong vs. Godzilla it's literally only in the last line of the movie because it's it's just lip service to having a message where the fly really is all about that Mm -hmm. but I think the fly as like this late 50s you know it's a little schlocky because it's a guy in a fly mask but (laughs) overall is the serious um the serious exploration of of when science can go too far you know versus King Kong versus Godzilla just utter silliness from beginning to end. I think that's an interesting 
combination. I think you get your exciting, well done science fiction in the first half, and you get and then you get your terrible, stupid, goofy science fiction <laughs> in your second half. You know, yeah. I like that. Well, you know, and just kind of aping off something you said, aping off something oh. you said. Oh. The Fly is a, a cautionary tale about when science goes too far, and King Kong versus Godzilla is is not a cautionary tale, but it's a movie where they keep pushing science further. <laughs> Just like stop, Godzilla. <laughs> They're like, hey, guys, quickly, let's build like an electric barrier. That'll stop them. Wait, no, let's yeah. get some electricity to King Kong. Wait, how do oh, we? Oh yeah. Knock also, him out? what's with the, the the Kong electricity plot? Electric Kong plot mm. is not really the right word, but that whole thing really weird and i had heard this could be incorrect but i had heard originally it was going to be frankenstein and that's why the electricity is there oh i don't know how that would have worked but because there's no establishment of king kong loves electricity or anything in in the original king kong obviously i mean yeah dies on a giant lightning rod but that's completely unrelated you know but yeah like it's i think this is such a fantastic double feature and it's also i mean because again obviously as per usual i agree with most of if not all of your points that you've already brought up but you begin this double feature with this really serious or as serious as you can have with a guy in a fly costume but you begin with this serious science fiction drama Mm -hmm. about the dangers of science and these scary things that can happen in the in the 1950s where anything is possible you know and then you end with 1950s canada specifically 1950s montreal 1950s (laughs) land of opportunity where (laughs) where science has gone too far yeah, and then you end with this stupid, <laughs> stupid, schlocky thing where God's or where uh, King Kong picks up an octopus that like suckers sucks itself to his face, and he that was kind it of down. a neat shot, by the way. I'm assuming they did it in reverse because that's a, just a prop octopus, so it was probably on his face, and he threw it down. I think so. I think so. Yeah, uh, that that looked kind of neat. I mean, it looked weird and looked like sped up almost, but it was yeah. Neat. But yeah, it's it, this is fantastic. I would like Patrick if we have a dream, if, if our dream of owning our own movie theater where we could just show double features and do a podcast in ever becomes a reality, this would be a double feature I would want at our theater. See, if we ever owned a movie theater, though, I'm showing pieces every single day, so I don't know <laughs> if that's going to work out. <laughs> just just being honest, you know. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> So Jim and I are doing something a little bit different next week. So we are splitting up our season, our second season, into two parts. Originally, you know, ideally, you know, we've done, this is our 15th episode this season. The original plan was to do 30, you know, so this is the nice halfway point. But, Mm -hmm. you know, something might happen. Maybe it'll be 25. I don't know, you know. As of when I'm recording this, I literally do not know what country I'll be living in when this episode comes out. So, (laughs) you know, things are complicated. But for our like halfway point, we were originally going to do something similar to what we did with our end of season one, our recap thing. But then I'm like, yeah, we'll probably do that at the end of season two. Why don't we do something different? So here's what we're doing. We're doing a double feature mock draft. And I'm going to explain it a bit here, too, because I'm not 100% sure Jim knows everything that I have in mind here. No, nope, not at all. So we have covered, and, and I'm, I'm opening this up to season one and season two, okay? Okay. But we have covered now 68 movies, not counting the commentary tracks available on our Patreon, 
patreon.com slash revenge of the drive-in <laughs> we've done 68 movies we are going to have a, a a draft where you know jim picks a movie that we've done i pick a movie that we've done and we're going to go through do i think 20 rounds and we're going to pick movies and then we're going to see how we can create the best double feature out of our selections all right is that a decent way to describe it jim are you following yeah, i think so yeah Okay, yeah. so hopefully our listeners are as well. But that's what we're going to be doing next week. It's going to be a lot of fun. Hopefully, who knows, might be a super long episode. I I really have no idea what to anticipate <laughs> because, you know, I'm... But yeah, I... Uh, J- but Jim, you're going to get the first pick. I have no idea what you're picking. Ooh. It's probably going to be from Russia with Love, but I don't technically know. <laughs> no, just, no, it's I, just a guess. I think I know what my um, first pick is going to be, and it's going to shock you. And that's not a reference into what movie I'm going to pick. I okay, good be because goddamn, I need Shocker. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm draft. I'm I will trade up to get Shocker early if I have to. <laughs> but yes, yeah, so that's what we're doing. So uh, feel free to join us next week. Feel free to follow us on Twitter at Drive In Podcast. Check out our Patreon for early access to episodes and trailers, as well as access to commentary tracks on films such as Saw. The Mummy with Brendan Fraser, Frankenstein Meets the Wolfman, etc. And yeah, but thanks for joining us. And Jim, I'll see you next time. Thanks for having me, buddy. Talk to you later. And uh, talk to you later, audience. Bye for now. <laughs> <laughs>